All right, we're going to look at chapter 11. Let's read through it. The Lord detests the use of dishonest scales, but he delights in accurate scales. Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Honesty guides good people. Dishonesty destroys treacherous people. Riches won't help on the day of judgment, but right living will can save you from death. The godly are directed by honesty. The wicked fall beneath the load of sin. The godliness of good people rescues them. The ambition of treacherous people traps them. When the wicked die, their hopes die with them, they, for they rely on their own feeble strength. The godly are rescued from trouble, and it falls on the wicked instead. With their words, the godless destroy their friends, but knowledge will rescue the righteous. The whole city celebrates when the godly succeed. The shout of joy when the wicked die. Upright citizens are good for a city and make it prosper, but the talk of the wicked tears it apart. And that probably applies for city, nation, family, whatever. It is foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible purpose person just keeps quiet. A gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. Without wise leadership, a nation falls. It's a powerful verse for us today in our nation. There is safety in having many advisors. There's danger in putting up security for a stranger's debt. It's safer not to guarantee another person's debt. A gracious woman gains respect, but ruthless men only gain wealth. Your kindness will reward you, but your cruelty will destroy you. Evil people get rich for the moment, but the reward of the godly will last. Godly people find life. Evil people find death. The Lord detests people with crooked hearts, but he delights in those with integrity. And evil people will surely be punished, but the children of the godly will go free. And here's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. A beautiful woman who lacks discretion is like a gold ring and a pig's snout. Isn't that amazing, huh? <laughs> Terrible verse. I mean, don't you see the great wisdom in that? <laughs> What a waste. The godly can look forward to a reward, while the wicked can expect only judgment. Give freely, become wealthy, more wealthy, and be stingy, lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. I love that. People curse those who hoard their grain, but they bless the one who sells in a time of need. If you search for good, you'll find favor. But if you search for evil, it will find you. Trust in your money and go down. And down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. Those who bring trouble on their families inherit the wind. The fool will be a servant to the wise. The seeds of good deeds become a tree of life. A wise person wins friends interesting. If the righteous are rewarded here on earth, what will happen to the wicked sinners? 
Now, you'll notice ever since we really finished chapter 9, each of the chapters from here on, they jump around a lot as far as the text, the context, the meaning, uh, the, the subject matter. He covers a lot of areas. And if you look at chapter 11, there is an overriding theme simply because he mentions one particular subject more than any other subjects in this. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't. Now, where in the world and how in the world he decided to talk about discretion and a pig snout and a woman, you know, that's just kind of, I don't know, maybe he was having a nightmare one night and he, he decided just to wake up and wrote that out and thought that was a real cool thing to put in there. I'm not sure. But he talks about finances. Did you notice how he talks about finances in this? And so I, what I want us to do is I want us to look at all the principles about finances that he mentions here because there are, there are actually several. And I believe finances matter. How many of you would believe finances matter? They really matter. And, you know, the world has a tendency to think that finances are evil. Um, finances are not evil. Never have been evil. And God designed wealth. He created the world with all of the silver and the gold and the diamonds and all of the precious things in this world and the minerals and all the things. He created those things. So he created the capacity for wealth. So finances or wealth is not something that's evil or bad, but it is certainly a downfall when people begin thinking that wealth is what's going to fill their life. When they begin to think wealth, finances, that's going to make me happy. That's going to fill the void within me. God created the void that only he would fill that void. And so when people try to fill that void with other things, then it becomes idolatry. And God is jealous that you not seek after other things before him. And so what we want to look at, we want to look at uh, what I see five primary things that he talks about finances in this area. And I believe the Spirit of the Lord would have us to look at those. The very first thing, and that is, we're supposed, we are to be honest with our finances. Say the word honest. Does anybody in America know what honesty or integrity means anymore? You know, it may have lost its meaning completely in America because it seems as though uh, if you can get away with it, it's okay. That's the way it seems to be in America today. And there's no, uh, it seems like there's no shame in uh, telling lies or having a lack of integrity or a lack of honesty. Uh, I'm amazed how many people uh, get caught and and it destroys their whole life. They're, sometimes they're married, sometimes they're jobs, all because they're not honest, especially in the area of finances. You know, honesty in our finances is a reflection 
of who God is in our life. It's a reflection of our desire to reflect his ways. And when I say honesty in finances, it's honesty whether you're caught or not. Whether anybody knows or not. Whether anybody sees or not. The obvious thing is that if you're not honest and you don't have integrity, then the Lord knows that. Just a couple of verses that are all pretty obvious. Very first one, um, 11 verse 1, the Lord detests the use of dishonest scales, but he delights in accurate weights. Now, that doesn't relate to us very well because we don't use scales the way they did. But, you know, remember the scales you've seen where it's kind of, uh, you put a, a weight on one end uh, and that weight stays the same. And then you put whatever your produce is or your gold or your silver or whatever you're buying or selling, you put it on the other end. And because you use the same weight each time, then you're able to say, okay, well, this, you, you, you brought in this amount uh, of whatever because it, it balances a, to a certain place against the same weight. But the problem is what they would do is they would buy something with one weight and they would get a certain price for that and then they would change weights and they would sell the exact same thing but they would use a different weight. And they would make money buying and they would make even more money selling because they used different weights while they were supposed to use the same weight, they don't. And as a result, then they're buying it, getting more uh, than they really should. And then when they sell it, they're selling less than what they should. And here God is saying he detests dishonest scales. Now, that means that God sees the scales. That means God sees every financial transaction that you make. When you get a dollar too much at the fast food restaurant, or $5 too much, or $20 too much, because the person is in a hurry, and you look at it and you think, oh boy, Your second quick reaction should be, no, that's not what I want to think. I want to be honest. And at the end of the day, God is looking. You may never be caught. Now, that cashier, guess what? That's going to come out of their paycheck or that's going to come out of their pay because now their register is going to be short that day. And they're going to be held accountable for it. So they're going to be the one to pay. You, you ended up stealing from that register, from that person. And that relates to what he's saying here. Another, and, and there are lots and lots of examples, but there's a thing, and I guess you could say it's kind of like the same thing as using different weights, but sometimes people in business, they will... Um, they will say, uh, 
buy something or sell something, and they'll put down one price. But it'll be an inflated price. And then when it comes time to pay in the boss, they've got something different on the books, and they pocket the difference. And sometimes, you know, I don't know if you probably sold uh, a vehicle of some kind. I know I've been asked this many times. If you buy or sell a, a vehicle or a trailer or a four-wheeler or a boat or something, the guy that you're, that's buying that, if you're the buyer, you're going to have to pay sales tax when you go get a registration. So sometimes I've had people say, well, listen, would you, I'm going to sell it to you for this amount of money, but would you put on there a whole lot less so that I won't have to pay as much sales tax? So what they're really asking me to do is, they want the money, but they want to save, so I'm going to have to lie about what I put down there in order to save them sales tax. What a great opportunity to say, no, I can't do that because I'm a Christian. And when they say, ah, nobody's going to care, they don't care, the government's got all the money they need, the government may not know, but God knows. And that's what matters. How many of you have ever had an opportunity to fudge some numbers before? You know what I'm talking about? You've had that opportunity? Yeah, you probably always get that opportunity. But here the Lord states it real simply. He detests dishonest scales. And part of the reason is that integrity in finances carries with it your name and his name. You see that? You carry with it his name, your Christian, and his name. So when you do something and it's unethical, it's lack of integrity, then it brings shame to his name and to your name. And one of the very best things you can pass on to your children is a good name. Pass on to your children a good name That's better than houses or land or anything else that you might pass on to them. Give them a good name more than anything else. A couple of other verses. Uh, Verse 3 kind of goes the same line here. 11.3 says, honesty guides good people. Dishonesty destroys treacherous people. Verse 5, the godly are directed by honesty. And the wicked fall beneath their load of sin. And then to look at verse 20. The Lord detests people with crooked hearts. But he delights in those with integrity. And I just, again, I just want to say, especially that that verse 20. The Lord detests people with crooked hearts. So when we're dishonest in our finances, it reflects what? reflects our heart and God wants our heart to be right with him and if we have a heart to want to be able to to stand before the Lord and to know that our heart is right with him then finances is an area that we need to be in so to me that's that that's a primary area that he's talking about here and that we need to be honest with our finances now the second thing I see here and that is the love for riches The love for riches is a deadly trap. Look at verse 6. 
The godliness of good people rescues them. The ambition of treacherous people traps them. Interesting. There's that ambition. And again, it, it's the godliness of good people. It rescues them. It saves them. But when there's that ambition, there's that drive. Remember what it says? We're going to read it here in a minute about First Timothy. It says, the love of money is the root of all evil. And then look at verse 18 also. It's kind of similar there. It says, evil people get rich for the moment, but the reward of the godly will last. You might make a score and get a big deal temporarily, but it won't last. But when you have God's way and you have God's heart, it will last forever. And the last verse, I want us to look at this in here, is verse 28. It says, trust in your money. And what does it say? Down the tube. But the godly flourish like leaves in the spring. Always are going to be blooming in the spring. And, and the whole idea here, and that is when it's a, a desire, a love, an ambition for money. Let me just ask you a simple question. Why are so many people trapped? with greed, because that's what we're talking about, the love of money. It's greed. Why are we pulled in, so many people are pulled in to greed? Any thoughts on that? What's that? Comparing ourselves to others, worrying about what they're doing. Yeah, okay, that, that would be one result or one thought. Anybody else? Yes. Yeah, so once you got it, you got to get, got to get more. Got to get more, and you got to protect what you have. Yeah, yes. Ungratefulness. I think I think that's probably is a key. Uh, ungratefulness. Anybody else? What What's the root behind it? Behind that. And, and again, it's desiring to do well is nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's that compulsion that you're willing to do anything and everything just to get more money. No matter who it hurts. What was that? I'm sorry? Selfishness? I agree with that. Thinking about only ourself? Yes. Okay, and sometimes people will actually go shopping because they have an emptiness. And they will even buy things they can't afford and charge them to fill some emptiness that they have. And there's that desire. And then once they get it, they're not happy or satisfied at all. But there's an overriding, overwhelming desire for things. And it pictures it here as a trap. That ambition for more and more and more, it is a trap. Let's look at that passage. It's kind of extensive from verse 3 all the way down to verse 10 in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But it's a powerful verse because it brings up a lot of 
uh, issues there. Let's look at it if we could. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus. He's teaching to promote a godly lifestyle. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant, lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt. They have turned their backs on the truth to them. A show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. I love that. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came to this world. And you won't be taking a U-Haul at the end of your hearse when, you, when you're leaving it. I added a little bit there, you know. But by, you, you ain't taking anything with you. So, if we have enough food and clothing, let's be content. Somebody mentioned being content. But people who long, there's that anxious, that desire, that hunger, who long to be rich, they fall into, into temptation and are trapped. There's that same idea of back that we saw in Proverbs 11. They're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them. Remember it said, down you go. Plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love, not money, but for the love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So it is a Old Testament, New Testament idea that the love of money, greed, anxiousness, I have to have more, I've got to have more, um, it's a trap. And, and I wrote a few things in the notes here, uh, things that we can do to protect our heart because it is a heart issue. I, I listed five things I think we can do. Several of you mentioned some of these. First thing, and that is practice being grateful for everything we have. Practice being grateful for your husband. Practice being grateful for your wife. Practice being grateful for your children. You know, as you are grateful for something, you will find yourself complaining about them a lot less. And here's the amazing thing. You will begin to not focus in on their problems and their shortcomings if you'll be grateful for them. That gratefulness and and lack of contentment can't abide side by side. You're going to have to go get on one side or the other. And you better get on the side of gratefulness. So one way to fight that tendency to, for greed, grateful. Second thing, be learn to resist a constant advertisement that promotes dis, dis, uh, discontentment. It, you know, if you watch some of the advertisements on TV, it is amazing. It is subtle. You will be happy if you have this. 
Or you have all these people and they're just having so much fun and everything's wonderful and they're all skinny and they're all beautiful if they just have this one particular product telling you, if you don't have that, you're not really happy. If you had our product, then you would really be happy and content and everything would be hunky-dory in your life and you'd just have the most great, wonderful time in the world. That is false advertisement trying to build into you discontentment. Had somebody uh, one time uh, there, uh, I just bought my truck. I don't know. I hadn't had it very long. It's 2010. So, um, but I hadn't had it I, maybe six months. And some guy, he was a car salesman, and he began to tell me, you know, how that was such a lousy model. And, and you know, these new models they're coming out with, they're so... And I, and I, you know, I'm so grateful for the one I have. And I want to say, I want, he was working so hard at trying to make me not grateful for what I have. Uh, and of course, if, if he's going to make a sale, he needs to get you discontent with what you've got before you're going to think about buying something else. And so many times, that's the enemy working in our life, making us discontent. And so sometimes you have to shut off all that advertisement because a lot of it is focused on making you discontent. A third thing, reject the world's definition of success and happiness. What is someone's definition of success? Anybody want to give me their best definition of success? What is your definition of success? Come on now. Okay, that beautiful blonde uh, lady on the front row, what's your definition of success, young lady? All right, I like it. Doing what God has called you to do. What else? What's a good definition of either success or happiness? There you go. I like that. And, of course, now the world, to the world, that's not success. You've got to have the most toys, and you've got to have more than everybody else, and you've got to have this, and you've got to have that. But it's related not to what you own, but who you are, who you're married to, your happiness in one another and in your family and in the body of Christ and your walking in God's Word, those things are really the definition of success and happiness. But if you, if you don't watch it, you get sidetracked and the wrong definitions begin to get into your heart. Reject the world's definition of success and happiness. And the last one, identify Life's goals around God's kingdom. Matthew 6.33, anybody know what that says? Well, you've got it now. (laughs) Anybody know what Matthew 6.33 is? You should know. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. And he'll add everything. He'll give you everything you need. God will will add to you everything that you really need 
Now, you'll notice he didn't say he's going to give you everything you'll want. He said, if you'll seek him first and put him first and his kingdom is first, then he'll meet all of your needs. And he'll do that by sometimes changing your desires and showing you that he is the one that you really desire. So just understand that um, so important. Mold your life around seeking God's kingdom. And then the last thing I just want to say, if we're going to fight against greed, and that is teach your children. Teach your children um, values from the Word of God. I, you know, our children are suffering. And Freddie teaches. How many teachers do we have here tonight? We've got quite a few teachers. Uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about, teachers. Our children are not being taught God's values. It is so important. Uh, they're certainly not going to receive it in public schools unless they've got a godly teacher. Thank God for godly teachers in public schools. Hallelujah. So important. But there's a good chance they're not going to learn godly values at home. Usually at home it's a war zone and they're just struggling to exist and stay together if mom and dad are together. So they're probably not going to learn God's values at home. And most likely they're not going to find it in school unless they've got a godly teacher. If They're blessed and have a godly teacher. But I just want to encourage each one of you, teach your children God's values, His values. Uh, what is really important? What, is, what really matters in life? And just reflecting, speaking God's values, so important. A uh, third thing I see in, in Proverbs 11, and that is God prospers the generous. Now look at this little passage in verse 24, 25, and 26. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy <laughs> and lose everything. The generous will prosper. I love this verse 25. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. People curse those who hoard their grain, but they bless the one who sells in a time of need. What are, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the law of reciprocity which is simply stated, you reap what you sow, usually later, but always in greater abundance. The law of reciprocity. You reap what you sow. Usually, you reap what you sow later. Kind of like a normal uh, farmer. You know, you sow stuff, it takes time for that thing to come up, and then it has to go to grow, and then it's got a flower, and then it becomes a, a fruit or a vegetable or whatever it does. And, you know, it takes time. But everything the devil offers you, it's quick, and you get the results quick, but the end of that is death. And what God builds in our life, it's usually a slope. But if you will pour your life into other people, and, and I love that 25, 
The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. If you pour into the lives of other people, you will be refreshed. And then when you go through a time of leanness, and everybody goes through lean times. I mean, that is a cycle of life. We go through times when everything's great and wonderful and we have abundance, but then we also go through times of leanness. How many of you have been through times of leanness? If you're breathing, you probably have. You may be going through lean times today. A lot of people in South Louisiana are. But I just want you to know we are going to make it. We are going to make it. And God is our source. He is the one who gets us through these times. He is the one who sustains us. And the idea here is that if you will refresh others, you will be refreshed. If you sow into the lives of other people, you will be, people will sow into your life. If you will be a blessing to other people, other people will bless you. That's the idea. You know, I thought about this as just thinking about the idea of generosity. Wouldn't you agree God is the original generosity? He is the original sharer of all things. God has given us all things. He could have been hoarding. He could have held on. But God has blessed us and given us all good things. In fact, it says he has not withheld any good thing from us. He is the beginning, the originator, the inventor of generosity. And he withholds nothing from us. And because we are created, created in his image, he wants you to be like him, to be generous. Yes, Brother Freddie. Yeah. He gave. Yeah, I've, I've heard of and, and read stories of employers, bosses, managers of large companies, uh, maybe not even Christians, but they have learned the principle that if they will sow into the lives of their employees and be a blessing to them, rather than try and make as much money as they could and be as stingy as they could and kind of give their employees bare bones, but if they will invest 
sowing to their employees, they see that that comes back. And the whole business prospers. And it's exactly right. They may not be Christians. They may not be godly. And they may not even understand it's a biblical principle. But if you operate according to God's principles, it is a kingdom principle. And it's just like the law of reciprocity. It is a kingdom principle that works. And that's really what it's talking about here. God calls us to be generous. Uh, And a generous spirit, and I'll just put a little caution there. Not generous to the point that um, that you hurt yourself or you don't take care of your own family. Now, occasionally, I'll talk to people, and they, you know, they're so generous that they're actually their their own families are hurting, and that's really not a, a good thing. It's not a biblical principle that you give away all your money. Uh, and then you don't have enough money for your own bills to be paid or your own children to be taken care of. That's an extreme. But the idea is that if you will sow into the lives of other people, God will bless you. You will be refreshed. Uh, that verse 26, people curse those who hoard their grain, uh, but they bless the one who sells in time of need. You know, if you remember the story of Joseph, They stored up the grain for seven years when times are good. And then when times were lean and they had seven years of famine, then they were able and willing to sell uh, and provide for the people when they couldn't have. And they would, many people would have starved to death had they not been willing to do that. So the same idea, uh, you, you know, and, and why would we hoard the idea would be because we're afraid we're not going to have enough. So it becomes a lack of trust in God. The fifth thing, excuse me, the fourth thing, never become surety for another person's debt. Uh, it's found in verse 15. There's danger in putting up security in a stranger's debt. It's safer not to guarantee another person's debt. If you read through the book of Proverbs, Uh, It actually states six times in the book of Proverbs not to become surety. What is the word surety? That means cosigning. Don't cosign. And the idea is that you cosign, that person defaults, now you're responsible for that debt. And here again, there's this idea of the name. Your name is with that. And when they default, then, in a sense, you're defaulting with them. And you have to put up the money. You know, a lot of, I got a lot of flack when we were building this church, uh, especially about halfway through or three-fourths of the way through. Uh, you know, and this we spent about $7.5 million for this building, and it, most everybody knows we pay for this debt-free. Um, and we were about three-fourths of the way through, uh, I had quite a few people, not quite a few, probably four or five people. They said, you know, brother and amen, we're close. Why don't you just go ahead and borrow the money? Just, you know, borrow a couple million. Let's finish this thing out and get it on the way. Because it took us six years to build this. You know, a little unusual to take six years to build a building. But I'd felt like uh, that this the Lord wanted us to do 
uh, do this debt-free. But there was another reason, and it was a scriptural reason. And that was that in order to borrow the money, I would have had to find some people in our church, and they would have had to co-sign, put their name on the line for that money. Because, hey, if you're a banker, you're going to want to have somebody uh, that's got a little resources and, and capital or some land or something that will step to the plate and sign for $2 million, whatever you're going uh, to borrow. And I could never see asking someone to do what I consider to be unscriptural. If it said don't do the co-signing, don't be a co-signer. Now, uh, let's put it on a local kind of family level. Let's say your, your child... Let's say your child, a teenager, maybe young adult, and they want to buy their first car. Well, they probably do not have credit uh, to buy a car, and so they want to buy a car, and they want you to co-sign. But I have a better idea for you. Don't co-sign for them because, again, it puts them, puts you in surety or obligation for their debt. Be a co-owner, but don't be a co-signer. And what that simply means is that you co-own that car. And then that way, if they fall out on the, on the note, then that car belong, is in your name too. And then you can take that car, you can sell it, or you do whatever you need to do. But if you're a co, co-signer, then they're going to repossess that car if the note is not paid. And you, if all you are is, is a co-signer, then you have to come up with the money, but you're not a co-owner. So there are a couple of ways. Best thing is just don't become surety for somebody else's debt. Just not a good idea. But if you were going to be a co-owner, that would be much better than a co-signer. And then the fifth thing, and that is invest your life into other people for the greatest return. Invest your life and other people for the greatest return. Verse 30 and 31 of Proverbs 11. Think about what it's saying. The seeds of good deeds will become a tree of life. And a wise person wins friends. If the righteous are rewarded here on earth, what will happen to the wicked sinners? And the idea there is if tree of life The idea here is that if we will invest, put seeds into other people, into things that really count, then the result's going to be the tree of life, which would be eternal life, would be something that's lasting. So I just want to encourage you, invest your life in other people. If you want the best return possible, invest in other people. Kind of goes along with seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will add all these others. Just a couple of verses. I don't have them in your notes, but I wanted to add these, and that is one would be Proverbs ten twenty two. It says, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. And I read that to my wife, and before and she said what in the world does that mean my best understanding of that is that when you trust God and he's the source of your finances 
and and you're trusting in him and you you focus on him and you you seek first the kingdom of God then the Lord blesses you he will prosper you and he will bless you but he won't just bless you but he'll bless you and the sorrow that comes with finances sometimes if you're doing it your way are not added if you are greedy and uh, you know, want money and hungry for money and step all over people uh, in order to get money. And there's a lot of sorrow in that. Plus, if, you, if you're wound up about money and, and achieving more and more, then you have to defend your fort and make sure nobody steals anything. <laughs> there's a lot of sorrow that comes with finances when you're doing it your way. But when you just trust in God and he is your source and you're trusting him for all of your provision and he provides all of your needs, he adds no sorrow with it. Then wealth and riches are a blessing. You know, I I like to be able to be blessed financially and enjoy it, (laughs) not blessed financially and have it to be a burden. Are to weigh down. One last verse, Proverbs 12, verse 11. A hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. What in the world does that mean? Think about it. Yeah, when I say, and the reason I added this verse. Let me say this right. When I say God blesses his people, it's not like he just sends checks in the mail or they don't just, money doesn't just dribble down from the heavens. Everybody understand that? God honors good, hard work. We do something for it. We work. Uh, the Bible says he who has a slack hand will endure poverty. And so the Lord blesses those who work. And with that working, that is God who's the one. And that we're, I mean, a lot of people have lost their jobs. And I'm praying every morning for God to provide jobs for those who have lost their jobs. As I know a lot of people in South Louisiana, people in our church have lost their jobs. But I'm believing God to provide an abundant provision of finances, but not a check in the mail. And that's one thing that upset me so much. You know, I noticed it was a real uh, theme. One of the uh, candidates uh, for presidency uh, that has dropped out, but it was all about, you know, getting everything you want. And it seemed like, you know, you can have everything for free, no problem. You know, rich people, they're bad people. You ought to have what they have. You know, it's not ever healthy to think that you're going to take from somebody else that's worked for their money and you you deserve it uh, and you haven't worked for it. Socialism has failed everywhere it has ever been tried. And what's amazing is Venezuela today is falling apart. Literally, they can't even get feed their people and they have some of the richest oil reserves in the world and their people are starving to death 
because they have followed socialistic principles. And so God's principles are not socialistic. They're hard work. God blesses hard work. But it's also trusting in him that he's our provider and he's the one that allows us to do the hard work. And he's the one who also gives us wisdom how to be a good steward of the finances he does bless us with. So again, I encourage you, wisdom and finances. What's amazing is spoken by one of the richest men who's ever lived, Solomon. Undoubtedly had wealth greater than we can even imagine. But he's telling us, be careful. Don't chase after it. The Lord blesses you. Honor him. Seek his first. Seek him first. Seek his kingdom. God will take care of you. Doesn't mean you're always rolling in the dough. It doesn't mean you always have uh, too much or more, more than enough. But he will take care of you. He is a, he is a God of provision. I'd like for us to pray tonight. I'd like for us to close in prayer that, that God would meet all of our needs, but he would also teach us to honor him and his principles. Why don't you just stand to your feet? Let's just believe God tonight as we pray. Father, I thank you for the church. Lord God, I thank you for teaching us your principles and finances, that your ways are better than our ways, Lord. And I pray, Father, that we would have a heart that is not discontented, but, Lord, instead we are grateful for everything we have. And, Lord, I thank you for providing jobs for all those who are struggling in the church or those who are looking for jobs. Lord, abundantly provide for them in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, Lord, I pray that you would teach us not to have that desire or love of money, but instead, Lord, we would trust you and rely upon you and be grateful for everything we have. Teach us your ways, O Lord. Your ways are better than our ways. Thank you, Father. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for continuing to speak to us in the name of Jesus.